I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore Podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. This week, we close out 2023 with our second highlights episode, just in time for the holidays. Last time, we reflected on some of the common themes throughout our first year of podcasting, including the importance of curiosity and asking questions and a treasure trove of golden nuggets of career advice. In this week's retrospective, we indulge in some of the best stories from shows our guests have been part of, lean into one of the pod's big themes of mental health, and of course, a nice cheesy warm hug from everyone talking about the great people across the Framestore community. Be sure to stay tuned towards the end of this episode, and we hope you're hungry as we get to drool over all of the gut-busting food recommendations that came up over the series so far. So, pour yourself a large eggnog, perhaps even a couple of mince pies, and please enjoy episode 35, the second half of our Framestore podcast 2023 highlights. To kick us off, back in February, you may remember we recorded two special Top Gun Maverick episodes in celebration of the show's VFX Awards nominations. We had the absolute pleasure of chatting with executive producer Sabrina Gagnon, lead compositor Marco Garcia, and Montreal-based compositors and married couple Shaylin C and Nicholas Lim Tuck Lee. Here are a few highlights. So I, I think that it's just the you know the photorealism you know of the of the effects, uh, and usually the the academy the, the academy they really like the movies that they help tell the story. So we have a lot of examples of movies like for example, uh, Ex Machina or Hugo. You know they they won the VFX the, the you know the Oscar for the VFX and they don't have a lot of VFX shots, but they look amazing and and they really help tell the story. So I guess when a movie has like really, really good uh, photorealistic uh, VFX and invisible VFX, they have a lot of chances to, you know, to get the awards because that's what, you know, the Academy likes, I think, in this case. That's interesting. Thank you, Marco. What's your take on that, Sabrina? I would agree with Marco and I really think, you know, they did shoot everything. That's phenomenal. And then we help enhance it. And you know, I'm I'm, ma- I'm making quotation mark, but they just had two F-18 and the movie needed other planes. So we needed to replace them uh, or needed to add some, like Marco said, but they still shot everything. So it, it that has to be recognized in some way. And I think through VFX, improving what they've done, which was phenomenal to start with, um, is the right place to go. And I think like Marco, that the Academy loves this type of work, you know? Um, where I think the VES will go and recognize the advance, the technology advancements that a project brought to the the v, uh, VFX scene, you know. So I think Avatar will probably go with this one, but I think the Oscar uh, Top Gun is actually a pretty strong contender. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And yeah, so the only two F-18s, yes, real life F-18s. Yes, that's cool. But again, this is a one of the many joys I have of this podcast is I get to find this stuff out. And I probably should have known that in the research that I did. But wow, there's a whole gang of planes in that film. Again, again, that speaks volumes to what you both said, creating that real world environment with all of those machines, those vehicles, and just had two physical assets just sitting on the, on the runway. That's incredible. And that trailer came out the week Tom Cruise said, there is no CGI. <laughs> sadly, sadly. <laughs> that was that was so funny. I remember, like, it was so funny. Like, they they really for many many months they were like, no no no, everything is in camera. Tom Cruise learned how to you know how to fly the plane, you know. And then after that, it's like, okay, maybe there are a few VFX, you know. <laughs> that was super funny. Just twenty four hundred shots. Sadly, sadly. <laughs> Yeah, that was really so funny. Like it was like how many months? It was like you no. Know, every time he was talking, you know, it was like no, there's no VFX at all, you know. And at the end, you know, that that's 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 something that I always like to 
to tell about this movie because I found it very interesting about how photoreal it looks, you know. And you believe him. You believe Tom Cruise because he does all his own stunts anyway, doesn't he? So he's a big... Uh... Yeah, but that, that's but if you work on VFX, you know that he does the stunts, but uh, there is some VFX work always in, in his movies, you know. I mean, he says that, but... Nobody can fly a plane upside down on top of another jet and, yeah. Of course, you know, they, that, that's, that's the, you know, the marketing around him, of course, but, you know, we, we know that there is always a bit of VFX when he does a stunt, <laughs> somehow. Nice, nice. Well, let's, let's, hope he's, let's hope he's listening. I'm sure he's a regular uh, subscriber to the Framestore podcast. <laughs> you never know, you never know. We don't know what the reach is. It's really funny because I, I wanted to bring up the same thing as Marco because it's true and it, it impacted us till very recently. Like weeks before the bake-off for the Oscar, Ryan was still not allowed to talk about it and, the, and all the work that we've done on the on the project. So, but that to me, to me, when and you know we almost printed our crew T-shirt being no CGI was involved in Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know because it was sensitive, we asked Paramount and they were like, yeah, maybe not. But the way I tried to sell it for us to be able to print that T-shirt was, it's a huge testament to our work that you think you can say that. It's amazing. And I think, it, it you know, it's a huge tap on the back for the, everyone that worked on the movie. That's like, your work is so amazing. We're lying, <laughs> saying there's no CG involved. Yeah. And, and what, how many shots again were on the show? 2400 total so we did about 720 750 at method and bc took that too because at the beginning the original bid was only 350 shots that's what they thought they needed <laughs> um and then so our workload doubled we said yes and then it doubled from that double and then we said okay we don't have capacity so mpc took that they were referencing our shot essentially it was more of the same and then the in-house team did about thousand shot of like retime little paints, little little this. Um, so yeah, it's a lot. Twenty four hundred. I guess like the most memorable shot I had was when uh, Phoenix and Bob's jet was like hit by a bird strike, and it just flew and exploded by the hill. Yeah, that was a. <laughs> that was the explosion shot. Yeah, that was uh, one of my explosion shots. So, yeah, it was cool. That's really cool. So, so speaking of the the explosions that you worked on, or actually all the work you worked on, can you tell me a bit about the uh, your approach to those those shots? And did, you know, what reference did you use? What was the uh, the process? You know, rather than just kind of literally jumping on the box and creating that awesome material, what was the approach? I think it was a combination of a lot of good work from a lot of good artists from different different departments, and there was like a lot of a study on how the explosion actually works, like like the birth and end of the color of the explosions. And I guess I was uh, really lucky that I was given like a really nice effects and lighting to begin with. And as for like making it super real, like we had like a lot of references. Watch a lot of YouTube. Yeah, a lot of YouTube. And uh, I remember like um, the soups and com soups, they were like ingesting like a lot of references for us. So it was pretty cool. What's the secret to a uh, award-winning explosion? You know, it's high praise from the director. What's the uh, what did you get right? Do you think? <laughs> good teamwork. <laughs> I think it's just really good references. And I think you, we what we you notice when we watch explosion, there's like like a the from the start to the end, you need to like have a bit of. Oh yeah. The core needs to go. Sometimes, right, right. sometimes it blows up the whole screen. Sometimes it doesn't do that based on the distance. And yeah, the color actually changes throughout the explosion during the yeah. The start color change. The, the color evolves as well. So we just do whatever we can to try to make it as true as possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like analyzing explosions like that to get it make it work for a film like Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, trying to make it authentic, not just about any explosion, isn't it? There must be so many varieties of explosion. How does a... There's so many. Yeah, right. How does a jet plane explode, you know, compared to a building or a demolition expert blowing up a, a block? I mean, it's uh, there's so much to it, right? Yeah, and there also, like, they were talking about different types of explosions affected by different types of materials that mm. was caused by the explosion. And the speed of the yeah. explosion. 
but to be fair, we don't really work. We don't really work with that. The FX does yeah, it. We just FX we just have it. to make it just a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Give it a bit more pop and yeah, just wrap it with some ribbon, make it a little <laughs> bit nicer. That's cool though, because a lot of the, the VFX is, you know, the job job of compositor and the, the the VFX teams is to make it believable, right? And I think your job is to make it sit well in that that environment that you know it, it doesn't look like visual effects; it just looks like something's exploded. You know, is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. But what new learnings did you take away from working on Top Gun Maverick that you employ now? I'd say I learned a lot of aerial terms, aeroplane terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Do you want to share any with me? Like the cobra maneuver, thrust vectoring. <laughs> nice. They throw a lot of these words during dailies, um, and then we kind of need to understand. And uh, shock diamonds. That's I think oh, yeah. that's one of the, like, the <laughs> uh, they do the afterburner, and then there's this funny thing that comes out. <laughs> They're called shock diamonds. I also kind of learned what an airplane should look like. I've <laughs> <laughs> been looking at them for like a year. So you just learned a lot about planes and plane language. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same. You guys must be super cool at parties, dropping all of your uh, your plane references and your, your jet fighter terminologies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still on our show theme, in Tim Webber's latest project, Flight, he creates a visually stunning and emotionally compelling movie that takes us on a journey through the skies. The film established Fuse, Framestore Unreal Shot Engine, a groundbreaking VFX pipeline using Unreal Engine. Here's Tim talking about the origins of Fuse on our FMX Live special. First of all, I'll just explain, Flight is the name of the short film, Fuse is the name of the pipeline which we built to make flight and to make other films. So Fuse stands for Frame Store Unreal Shot Engine. But it's also called Fuse because it's, it's fusing a traditional visual effects pipeline with an Unreal pipeline. So people have been making particularly short films in Unreal for a while, but they've always been made with very small teams of usually generalists working very tightly together. Um, and you know, Unreal isn't designed, it's a game engine. It's not designed for large projects, large films of the scale that we usually work on at Framestore. Um, and we wanted to add all the tools and the pipeline and the workflows and build up a system to be able to do that. You know, in developing a new set of tools, you are much better off to do it on a project um, when you're actually using it for real. If you, if you build something like that in a sort of ivory tower, you don't always create the right tools that you actually need. It's much better working on a real project. It's much harder because we were making the film flight and making the pipeline fuse at the same time, which was very challenging for both of them. Um, but I think we ended up with a much, much better pipeline in the end. Yeah, so the inspiration for Fuse was we, you know, we wanted to be able to, to, to work as, it, it, to the same scale and the same quality as we do on traditional visual effects films. Um, we, you know, in the end on flight, we used pretty much every department within the company. So all of these different people working together in a coordinated way, they're not generalists. Many of them had never used Unreal before, and they, you know, there's not time to retrain everyone to be uh, really familiar with Unreal. So we had to build all of everything to set that up. And we didn't just discuss the big shows of 2023 on the pod. Our guests had the rare opportunity to look back and reminisce on favourite shows they'd worked on. Whether it was fantastic creative work, teamwork in challenges or fending off panthers in the jungle, here's some of our guests discussing their show memories. Definitely. But if I was going to say, what am I most likely to show off about having been a part of? I would say Ragnarok. Yeah, I saw that on your list. That's such a great movie. It was fun. It was fun. What, 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 made, what makes it stand out for you? 
I don't know. It was just crazy. There was a certain amount. I mean, it was Marvel, and it was very tightly directed. There were loads of changes, and there were some 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 areas or some aspects and specific assets of working on it that were that felt less free in terms of what we could contribute to the design of certain things, and yet there were some other aspects uh, of the film which have were surprised by the amount of free reign that we got in terms of designing bits of the sequence and how it was going to play out. And I think I helped out a little bit more with the Megaserta stuff and with Hella coming, you know, coming up and sort of like spearing the Megaserta and all that kind of stuff. It was just fun. It was just fun. It was very colourful. I love, it's not, it's not always possible to be doing visual effects work where you can just go completely mental on a frame and just chuck a million colours into it. Because everyone's so worried that everything has to be integrated and tasteful, it has to be physically accurate and it has to read optically well. And there was that, there was a lot of craft and there was a lot of technical stuff um, within it. But yet design-wise, there was, you know, the overarching priority was to just make it look fresh, crazy and visually pop, you know, you know, it would pop. And it was so much fun. It's great to create something like... And you're a super comic book. Yeah, exactly. It was just great to be able to create something that was the most vicious uh, Disney witch emerald green on one end and then put something really, whatever, pinky and, and inoffensive and cute at the other. And they think, why? Why? Oh, I can do this. It's great. Let's put it, let's chuck it all in. So it was fun. I think one question you could have asked, like, maybe, like, what is, like, my favorite show? Like, I worked in Framestore, uh, which I really enjoyed working on it. And I think for me, it's uh, Timmy Failure. It's, it's oh, not I a saw very popular that on movie. Your... I have not yeah. heard of that film. I, why yeah. haven't I heard of it? Has it not been I think, pushed out I think it's, it's a really cute movie. Like, it's it's a fun movie, like, to watch with your kids or, like, generally as a, like, I think as a grown-up also, you should watch that movie. Because when I was first uh, told about that show, it was not like a very popular show or anything mm. like that. Like it was a very small, like a Disney show. And Disney film, yeah. When a manager told me about it, I, I was like, I, I think I want to work on that show because the story sounded really nice. It was like, it sounded like a very fun show. And I think I had like the most fun working in the studio on the show. The team we had, like me and me worked together on that show for the first time. Ah, brilliant. And uh, the team we had on that show was like, such a nice team we had like I think eight or ten people and animation just sitting in like in one row and we would just talk and like just turn around our chairs and and the quality of that show came out really well like I think we we spent like we had fun with that show I feel like we had a lot of fun working on uh, on total on that uh, movie and I really enjoyed it it was a very like good learning curve for us and yeah. yeah we had fun yeah. i think it was the it was a very after a very long time we had fun working on a movie in the studio yeah and such was... this is show is uh is the show i i get to know you because you know yeah it's the first show we work at the same team and i remember the the shots you did i was just watching it over and over again i was just thinking <laughs> how did you did that <laughs> i was just like oh. I think when you really uh, enjoy a show, like when you know the movie is like good, you're into the story of the movie, you put in like even more of your efforts to make it look amazing. That's that's what I feel like. Awesome, awesome. I need to check this show out. You know, I, when I was doing my research, I saw it on your LinkedIn and your IMDb page and I thought, I've never, it's a Disney show. I think show. you will Why love it. I think the movie is really Plus nice or... too. Like, um, it, it, it's a very different kind of humor. It it's slapstick, like, and it's like the boy is really cute in that movie, and uh, I really enjoyed watching. Well, considering my son is already a fan I think of your he might work, like it actually. With, uh, yeah, you know, and he's getting away from He'll the enjoy and it. movies. And... Yeah, he will enjoy it. <laughs> if you have to nail it down to one project, oh god, um, pretty sure those answers come up a million times. I'd have to say gravity. Gravity, yeah. For the reason being, um, obviously, because Framestore isn't really known for uh, its character animation, 
especially mm. how, how amazing the, the quality is and how much feeling they put into it. So things like Paddington and you know Guardians characters, all these different projects that they've done, it looks amazing. But if you want to encompass everything into one, I think the efforts that was put into Gravity, like the inventive nature of what they designed to make it work, uh, just the creativity around the, the look of everything, Mm. And just the tech and on technical brilliance as well. I think. Yeah, all these different aspects that Framestore are are amazing at doing. I think that all just sort of like the planets aligned and and mm. the result was um, gravity. I think that would be the one for me. As part of my research, uh, I think you flagged with me, Suzanne, that uh, your your work on uh, the film Passengers, the uh, the. Uh, the, the Chris Pratt vehicle, the science fiction movie, uh, the, 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 the sunshine asset that, that you, you and the team worked on is uh, allegedly still used as reference material for VFX artists the world over to this day. Is that a fair to say? Is that a bold statement? I, I think I think so. You know, um, we I was working with a really amazing guy called um, Chavi. His full name is Javier Martin. Hmm. And he was and still is probably one of the best VFX artists in the world. Um, He is so incredibly talented. And we had so much fun just trying to, you know, referencing sons and uh, trying to make, you know, the effects move in the way that we thought the sun, you know, uh, would shine and uh, all the surface materials. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. And we did have a lot of time to put that together as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was great fun, and I know um, uh, some of the sons that we've done at Framestore, we've we've always gone back to look at that one yeah. uh, because I think it was so successful. It's an amazing sequence, and I, I made a point of uh, YouTubing it earlier. I kind of, uh, <laughs> appreciate you? its grandeur. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I, it's one of those movies that you know, like any film, like unless you you're watching a, a you know. A, a, a 1970s classic you know they, they tend to watch the digest these films once maybe twice and then you move on to the next big thing and uh, i watched it once enjoyed it but then going back to it and actually pre- looking at looking at that shot through a different lens particularly kind of having this conversation was amazing like it was an incredible incredible sequence i think also you know when you're so involved and you're looking at something every day you're so hypercritical yeah um going back a year going back two years later, going back five years later, you know, you, you just see, you see it in a completely different way. It's so much fun. I think I'll go back and have a look at it as well. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice to take a step back and look at your work. Yeah. It was the kind of opportunity to work on the jungle book. The first one, um, which I think got released in 2016, and I was part of the the asset department, and also luckily I was part of the photographic team, which went out on on recce to the jungles to actually do a lot of photo shoots. Because as you know, that apart from Mowgli in everything we created, so we had to make sure that you know for the depa- for departments, you know, modeling and asset and look dev, we had to have uh, loads and loads of references. So we went and actually shot everything. Got HDRIs. One of my teams even had a close encounter with uh, uh, one of the pan- panther. God, I think he didn't die for his art. <laughs> Luckily, they survived. <laughs> so, uh, and then I think creative, uh, got, getting the opportunity to work on, or uh, create all these furry, realistic-looking animals, you know, uh, that was, I think, the biggest game-changing moment for me because that's when I thought that, you know, I mean, till then, you know, uh, there was a big struggle kind of saying, you know, kind of convincing the other, other sides that, you know, the Indian team could actually do some hero assets like that. We did it and we proved it. And I think... Best part is that, you know, our team was part of the, the Oscar awards. And I'm proud to getting the team and India high on a global platform. I remember when I was at the mill, along after the Technicolor acquisition, and heard a lot about the Jungle Book at that point in time. I think that was during the period when it did get nominated for the Oscar, etc. Massive, massive job. I've always got this vision of all these kind of uh, CG artists kind of like wandering around the jungle, terrified of being mauled or eaten alive for their, for their art. But uh, that's what a great experience. Wow. Yes, yes, it was a great experience. I, I think I think we had different challenges. I think the weather wasn't that all that great, you know, and with all these jungles, you have huge canopy, you know, you hardly get proper lighting. So we had to actually wait, you know, and sometimes it was raining most of the time, you know, we had umbrellas and I think by the time rains will stop and then we'll start shooting. Okay, so name dropping. Mm-hmm. 
um, working on Avatar, oh. um, we were dealing with James Cameron. Of course, I was mainly part just in the room and observing what he was saying. Um, but then there was one day when we were doing this uh, LinkedIn. Um, this this um, wasn't Zoom we were using then, but we were having a conference call with him. Hmm. And I had to take the reins that day because we were talking about the the sequence that I was doing. Because basically we were doing, if you remember in the film, there was that landing sequence when they come down to the sort of the airport mm. pad area where they had lots of buildings around it. Yeah. And the first, that was their main sort of landing base on the, on the planet. And we were doing all the kind of, there was like a refinery and all these buildings that were around them in the background. Mm. Um, my job was to kind of come up with the look of what sort of all these buildings were. So this day, I had to present to James Cameron um, with all the start process, what we were doing. So we had reference images of where we got the inspiration from and then sort of renders of test models we were working with. I was shitting myself. <laughs> my voice was a bit shaky. like <laughs> Sweaty palms. <laughs> I was nervous as hell. Um, but then about halfway through, going actually, he's he's, he's this guy's all right, and he was actually he was really nice to deal with. Um, oh. And he was they just we were just talking about you know the creative process of what what it is we we had to finish off for him. So yeah, I was super nervous mm. back then. But I mean, ever since then, you have to understand when you speak to a client, they're just a human being like you. Um, seriously, I think a lot of people put clients too much on a pedestal. Mm. Um, yes, they are doing an amazing job, and uh, half the time, when you think about the pressures that a director has, that's immense, and what they've got to go through, and what what they've got to juggle in their daytime. You know, mm-hmm. not everyone's equipped to be able to do that. So that is a very respectful thing when you speak to them. But at the same time, they're just like you. They they they're out to make the best out of what they want to try and create, mm-hmm. and you're there just to help them. And you know, and hopefully they can get what they need done by working with them. And so I think that the penny dropped one day mm. when literally just that realized. Because I think what I try and do with clients is I try and talk about normal things. Yeah. Before we get into all the nitty gritty, <laughs> I think that's if you're ner- if you if you're doing it for the first time, I don't know. Talk about the weather. Talk about your dog. Talk about normal things, and you'll get that back. And it breaks the ice, and it kind of breaks the barrier off hierarchy yeah that's a good idea as mentioned at the top of this episode a recurring theme on the pod was mental health and self-care it came up so frequently we made room for it in part one of our highlights the demands of our industry make balancing mental health a major factor to success And the number of guests who emphasised this really puts into perspective how much it matters to us. To start us off, here's mental health champion Raphael Weiss sharing her experience of gaining perspective and being a workaholic during the pandemic. Uh, Yeah, I was very much a workaholic before. Like I said, I would just do hours and hours. I think I was doing a very good average of 70 to 80 hour weeks for quite some time, especially from Paddington 2 to a few other projects after that. And, you know, that's just not sustainable. It might feel maybe fine when you have crunch time, but even then prepare ahead before crunch time. And also just the um, language that you use for for yourself and for others, especially for yourself, being able to always use words to make you feel empowered. So um, let's say like problem solving. Some people might not like the idea of thinking of, oh, it's a problem to solve, but maybe it's a challenge to overcome. And that's just personal. For me, problem solving, it whatever, it, it doesn't matter, but other people yeah. might be triggered by words that I don't understand because I'm not in their shoes. I haven't been through their own traumas or things like that. So, and words will trigger people in different ways and even Mm. our subconscious. So always keeping our mental health in check and making sure that we talk to ourselves in a kind manner and always have that voice of, Hmm, I think you are tired. Maybe you cancel that meeting that you have later today. Just reschedule. It's going to be fine. You know, and just trusting that you're always doing everything Mm. for your future self. Because that way you'll always be in constant gratitude for your past self, which means your present self will just remain happy 
and have the energy for the things that matter for you. I love the idea of looking after your best self and almost a future self that will thank you later, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love to sleep. And when I go to bed early, I don't like it because I might want to watch another episode yeah. of Queer Eye. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> I go to bed because then I sleep better and I'm better at work the next day. It's a very basic example. No, it's a good example, though. I really like that. And I really like about the idea of changing um, the words you use. Uh, you know, so yeah, you know, reframing problems to challenges, which I really like. Yeah, and I think in visual effects, it's important also to because there's so many hiccups and curveballs from time to time that it's easy to have to use a language of oh, those clients yeah. or oh that curveball because of that one department where it's like oh they experienced a challenge it was a little harder than expected it's fine. And just being able to then tell that to the team and they will brief that to their artists when they do rounds. Using those words that they've heard from somebody who did not put a blame on anything. It was just yeah. it's part of the deal. Because I've worked with producers in the past that were a lot more firm. And it was always a bit more stressful, you know, to be like, oh, there is a blame somewhere. So then I didn't want to speak up because it felt mm -hmm. scary to speak up. So I think that if the words that we use and that we used to reframe situations that are a bit more challenging might make a huge difference yeah. down the line. Next up, we'll listen to the insights from Matt Hughes, Global Head of Modeling, and Leadership Coach Debbie Coleman, as they explore the significance of integrating mental well-being into your everyday communication for effective team leadership. Uh, I would probably say to remember that you're part of a team. Um, I think we, everyone does have their own tasks and responsibilities. But one of the wonderful things about VFX is we're each part of a team and it's, you know, it is a collaborative process. It is a creative process. Uh, I think that helps with the learning side of things. You know, if you're part of a team, you're there to learn from each other and teach each other. And I think it helps with the stress side of things. It doesn't all sit on you. You are part of a team. You know, it can be spread. The burden can be spread. Uh, so I think both the knowledge and the burden can be spread. So I think it's really important um, to, to remember that and not feel siloed or isolated. Yes. I think particularly now with hybrid working, working from home, I notice it quite a lot in my coaching. Quite a few people feel quite isolated. Yeah. So I think it's really, yeah, remembering it. You're not on your own. You're part of something bigger in a good way. Yeah. How do you motivate people? I mean, it's tricky. It's like, um, is it Sisyphus who pushes the rock up the hill and he gets back to the bottom? I mean, there's another rock waiting for him and he has to do it again. I mean, some shows, it's a bit like that, right? You think, oh my God, I've just got to do this again. I've got to do another set of notes on this. I think you have to be honest and have a sense of humor about all this as well. You have to have a, a bit of fun with it and be honest with it, with um, expectations, what we can do in the time frame, and try and keep things, uh, in a sense, lighthearted. And, and on those bad days, when things have come back and we've you know lots of changes from the client and you just gotta you gotta kind of write okay pick ourselves up you know just, just chat about it let people sound off about it to you so you, your role at that point is to listen to them you know having a, a vent about something or really not happy about this and listen to them and see if you can help them that way and then also then if people are feeling pressured about that then we need to go and talk, talk to production and things and see if we can ease this this moment of stress to get through it. I think it's about at that point in these in these in a tough time. Let's just say we're working on something, we put a lot of effort in. It's come back with a ton of changes we have to do by a given date. I think at that point you need to let the crew have a little kind of sound off at you, talk through, talk through it like you know like a problem, and not and not kind of um, pretend it's not there. Yeah, so I can really hear the sort of human side of it. You know, listening to people being a bit light-hearted, being honest. Um... Yeah, I mean, at some point, it's, you know, and at some point, you, you know, you have to remember, at some point, you are going to just sort of deliver whatever you've got there, you know, whatever the changes are, you know, the, it will it will end. It's the nature of the beast, I think. Um, changes come uh, as thick and fast uh, this industry. We can't plan for it, as we mentioned earlier. These things just happen and they can throw us off course. As, as a captain of the ship, you've got to try and keep on course and somehow keep the keep the crew you know motivated as much as you can and I, and I think that's just listening and talking to the crew 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's some level of acceptance, isn't there, that this is the nature of the beast. This is this is the way it will be and navigating through those choppy waters, really. In one of our more recent episodes, Chris Blasco, newly appointed head of production in Montreal, discusses the dynamic lifestyle that many of us in the visual effects industry, particularly those in production, constantly undergo. He emphasizes the dual nature of this lifestyle, presenting both challenges and advantages, with the recognition that change is always around the corner. Well, you know, what I really like, and this might this might drive some people crazy. I don't think anybody in our business would be driven crazy by this, but I think people in a workforce could, is the idea of, of how ever-changing our time is, you know? There's no such thing as uh, the same show, right? Uh, the experience is always different for a host of reasons. All the players could be different, right? Our internal teams, our external teams, uh, let alone, of course, the specific imagery that we're making is always obviously different. And I think that can do some people's heads in as far as uh, it can feel inconsistent or uh, you're unable to, to kind of rein it in and get, get comfortable with your job. But what I really like about it is things always change, right? So when things are rough, it's going to end. It has to end because the project will always end. And if it goes to the bitter end and it's rough to the bitter end, then so be it. But there's always an end. This isn't years in the making where we're going to struggle and you're going to feel like, oh gosh, this is my life. It's not, it's not, this is your show and that show will, will end. And then you have an opportunity for the next one. Next one could go similarly, but it could not too. So you you know you, you owe it to yourself to get through it and just pick up fresh on the next one. And you know obviously the the good smooth periods also come to an end, and you have to just be prepared for those um, and expect that the times will be you know there'll be tumultuous moments, and those moments could last for a while. But you know even the even the good right relish in it, but uh, but be prepared for when it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when those times wane and 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 the challenges uh, are what you really have to deal with on your day to day, but that's what keeps me going is that it's always something new, and I've done this for long enough to really feel confident in that statement. There's always something new, so you never get stuck for too long. I think the good advice is something that I said before, which is just this isn't going to be forever. It feels unavoidable. What Framestore is really conscious of is maintaining that balance as much as we can and we know that we can't do it and we've everybody who's listening will will agree that it has been not struck uh time and time again and that's that's kind of part of the game what we can do is try to mi limit that and be really mindful of of not uh, abusing that being really respectful to of people's time i really do like the working from home aspect to ot because i do think that you know, there used to be so many times for production specifically if we're waiting for a shot and it's on the render farm and then it has to get comped. It's a couple hours before we can actually get something that's reviewed and then ultimately hopefully sent to the client. And there was a time where you just had to sit in the uh, in the office and wait for that. But now you can, in some specific instances, when you discuss this with your show, you can uh, go home and have a bite to eat and then check back in before, you know, while the process is still going. And you can still satisfy your role while, uh, you know, not then having to add the commute home after all of that. Um, so we, we hope that the production teams can recognize that this is a, a last ditch effort to, to keep a show on track is, is asking for extra time. We use it sparingly. Uh, we're really mindful of what we're asking of and to know that, you know, this is a, this is a period, this is a moment yeah. and we'll get it done. Yeah. Wrapping up our discussion on mental health in our labs department special, Johnny Dixon, Global Head of Production, emphasizes the value of stepping away from chaos to regroup. He highlights how this practice can serve as a valuable asset in our work. It's not as much as a, of a panic as people think. And I think, you know, when, 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 when the phone blows up and everything's, it looks like it's spiraling, you know, I think it's, it's always paid to take a step back and, 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 and not get sucked into the drama. I yeah. think that's, it's, it's only comes with, with time. 
Uh, and I think I was speaking to um, a new person at Framestore in the lift the other day, and they were like, I don't know, I don't know how you know I'm going to be able to do this. And I was like, the only way you're going to be able to do this well is by doing it 20 times. Yeah. And like whether the whether the next time is in three months or the time after that is in a year, and you know these the tricky situations only get harder, and you only get better at dealing with them the more times you go through it. So maybe those two things go together. You know, mm. you've got to not not explode when a when the storm comes and um you know you just got to keep doing it and, and not be afraid of, of of making decisions so far we've delved into themes of show memories and mental health let's now focus on the third theme of people and culture you guessed it it's the cheesy question people what's the best part about working at framestore Everyone always says the people, and it they is do. the people. I think it's the people. I'll say the people. I mean the people. It's the Melbourne team. It's just people. It's people. It's like being on a pirate ship. God, you're going to hate me, Simon. It's the people. It's the people. It's the people. It's got to be the people, actually. Creme de la creme of the coolest geeks. <laughs> <laughs> they spell the people. A strong, personable, just lovely human team. But it is the people, yeah. like, you know. You said the magic word, and I'd be, people are going, oh, God, not another one saying that. But it's true. You don't turn your back on family. In this section, we'll dive into some of the answers that gave a deeper insight to the people we really appreciate at Framestore and why it makes our lives so much better. We've already touched on some really great experiences our guests had working on shows, and Melbourne DMP artist Pia Sofredini summed up a sentiment echoed across many people's stories by emphasising how the creative process was elevated by the strength of the people she works with. Here, Pia and guest co-host Kat Machoka talk about VFX supervisors and how providing feedback can make a big difference in an artist's experience on a show. The best thing about working at Framestore to me are the visual effects supervisors. Okay. Uh, they are like so good at motivating you and making you feel really good about your work. And even if you present work that they want to completely change, you leave dailies not feeling like terrible about yourself. You kind of feel like motivated to make the changes and, and do, do better. Peace. which I think is like it's it's like a skill that they have to to comment on your work and not tear you to, to shreds wow I mean that is a skill it that is. is a skill I mean I, I'm working on some content at the moment around feedback and getting it right you know like you say if you leave dailies feeling that you can do better and improve your work without feeling awful or feeling like you've just been you know thrown under the bus I think is uh is a real skill. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the VFX soups in, uh, in Melbourne are doing something right. I'm not assuming everybody else is doing something wrong. I'm just speaking about this bubble in our in our podcast. Yep. Here, but that's, uh, <laughs> what's, the, what's the secret, do you think? How is that feedback delivered? I mean, do share. I'm sure anybody listening would, would value some of this. I think they just, they don't make you feel small. And like another another thing, like they make you feel like a valued member of the team. And maybe sometimes they can just ease the criticism like with a nice soft landing of giving you a little compliment. Not yeah. that that's absolutely necessary, but sometimes they'll be like, oh, this is great work that you did. I, I, like I think that if we change this bit and change this bit, then it'll be great. Yeah. They could want to change the whole thing, but they still make you feel like they're, they're, they're happy with the work that you have presented to them. That's great. So it's almost kind of like you treat it as an equal. So it's not just like, you're not just critiqued. Yes. You know, you're, 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 like, like we always say on all these podcasts is all the shows are the product of these amazing teams collaborating together, right? Yeah. I mean, we all see the, the absolute brevity of all the people that work on these shows when you so much credit at the end of any any project. Um, but that speaks to that, right? That, that What I'm hearing there is collaboration rather than this kind of... Exactly, you know, yeah. You know, you know, them and us kind of uh, conversation, you know? Yeah. Great. So Pia says it's the VFX soups, the best thing. Kat, what's the best thing about working at Framestore? Um, I think partially I'm going to agree because, yeah, the soups know how to deliver the feedback while 
appreciating the work you've done, even if it might not be entirely what the clients are looking for. Yeah. But then they will make you feel heard and appreciate the work you're doing. And the other part, I think I'm going to give into the encouragement, yeah. encouragement of the soups and of the rest of the team in becoming even a better version of the artist you are now. So I really wanted to go shoot some texture references for the shots I was doing. And I was encouraged to just get the camera, get the kid and tripod and just yeah. get out into London and just go take those pictures, go and do it like you're going to learn that way. And it was super amazing because I never had that opportunity before to do that for work in a studio and just seeing the pictures I shot being part of the artworks I did and clients loving it. It just feels so fulfilling in that moment that you're contributing more and more of what you can give yeah. in each and every part of your work. When we say it's the people, what actually is it that makes a group of people better to work with than others? Here are some episode highlights featuring our guests sharing insights into how anyone in any industry can embody qualities of a supportive colleague. Raphael Weiss touches on the power of kindness amongst colleagues in the studio. Matt Hughes and Debbie Coleman take that further by talking about how important it is to bring that humanity into your communication style at work from the perspective of leadership roles. Then Johnny Dixon talks about the wide skill sets available at Framestore that opens up the opportunity for decisions to be made quickly and for the work we turn out to be thorough and that much better. We always talk about the teams here. I think everyone's always been really kind to just take a minute to explain things and really make sure that I understood it as well so I could go about my day and explain it to other people. So yeah, I think kindness is something I do on my day to day. I always come in any place and I ask, how are you to everyone I talk to? even if it's just for a coffee and I wait and pause so they know that it's not just an automatic question. Like I really want to know how they're doing and I look at them in the eyes and I do that with everyone here, even if they're cleaning up the bathroom or they're the big shot VFX supervisor, I'm going to treat them exactly the same because they have a role and that's just part of what society ought to be is kind people watching out for each other. I think that's, uh, you know, this is a people business we're in. I know people say it's a technology business because we use a lot of technology, but actually I think it's a people business, all about the people and the artists. So, you know, if you took all the people out of frame store, you'd have a, you'd have a pipeline and some computers there. <laughs> but actually the, the people are frame store or the people are the company. And we're not machines. We don't work in a kind of binary way. You know, we... We're human beings, so we need to communicate with each other in a way that makes sense. Um, so that's why we all need to be better at communicating and, and focus on our communication skills, um, especially as you progress with more uh, responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I agree one hundred percent. A, it's a people business, absolutely, and B, it's all about communication. I think so often any difficulties that I've sort of encountered in terms of artist performance or it, it can be it's usually around misunderstandings or you know do people even know quite what's expected of them when um if not how can they be expected to yeah. deliver that's a very good point yeah. yeah i mean justin summed it up very well um i'm not sure a huge amount to add i mean but I would all I would say is to reiterate, you know, one of the one of the great things about having so many people from from such a wide sort of skill set is that you can get advice very quickly. Yeah. And if you need to solve something, and there's multiple occasions every week where we need to solve something that feels fairly critical, mm. um, and we we get decisions made and actions taken, you know, within 48 hours. And I, yeah. this is one of the things that we've always tried to sell our clients even as a, this kind of white glove, you know, end-to-end -end service. Because we, you know, we, we know we're not the cheapest, 
Um, but we know that we probably have the most amount of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, out of all the different digital production companies, if you will. I think that's probably how we see ourselves. Yeah. Um, that, that, that there are around. We know we know most of them. We know all the people we pitch against. We know um, yeah. we know pretty much which ones we're going to win, to which ones we're going to lose. We know what the strengths and weaknesses of all of them are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you know it, it's having that ability to be able to. to to change direction, to move quickly, um, mm. and less so now. Maybe we've we've got a product to work towards, but it's it's definitely the communication and and the trust mm. that, that we have in in the people who work in labs. In our recent Black Futures episode, we were able to look at our community and impact through a critical lens with technology strategist Lorna Dunbar and LA-based Company 3 SVP for Global HR and DEI, Jimmy Vaughan. Here, Jimmy explores how human instinct sometimes acts as a common roadblock to better collaboration, and Lorna emphasizes the importance of accepting failure as a risk when taking chances. I think for me, like, and, and also to kind of like bring in a little bit of that, the first question as well of, of it just being like, what are some of those barriers and some yeah. of those, you know, kind of roadblocks that, that I think we encounter. With what I do, I think the biggest one tends to be human instinct, <laughs> right? So <laughs> that's like my biggest barrier, right? Uh, it, it, a, a thing I like to kind of bring to people is that um, gut instinct a lot of times is like the birthplace of bias, right? Mm-hmm. Usually what we feel or what we, you know, like when we have that moment where we're just like something, something's not right or something like I know what that is or I, I have a good feeling about it. It typically means that something is along our norm. And then the moment that something that we can't necessarily put our finger on uh, shifts outside of that norm, we, we get jostled, we get a little bit like thrown off and we're just like, wait a minute, there's something about this that isn't right. And really a lot of times that means like there's something about this that isn't part of my norm. It is not in, it is, it is counter what I understand of the world. And what we understand of the world is often based off of our own experiences. And so things that are not like that have a tendency to actually jar us, right? So that's, that's one, you know, kind of like element that's there. Um, and then another component of like, you know, like human biology is like in our hunter gatherer days, you know, uh, seeing somebody or, or people that operated differently or that weren't like us could have meant the difference of survival or, or not, right? Mm-hmm. It's like either my resources I'm not able to share or, you know, I couldn't survive with you in the, on this hunt. You don't understand, you know, what kind of dangerous berries are over here while I do. And it's like, I will not go to there. It's like, I'm not, you know, going to be around this or I know that that means danger. Well, technological evolution as we're talking about uh futures you know advances at a much faster rate than biological evolution so now all of a sudden we've got planes and we can go from this side of the world to that side of the world and interact with these other groups we have the ability to to jump on uh, a call and record things with people all in different areas of like of the world and interact and create communities and all of this stuff with a lot of our, you know, kind of biological predispositions of what we've learned over years and years and years and years. With all that being said, what that means is that there is an immense amount of variance that people have very strong attachments, even sometimes subconscious biological attachments too, because we all always are attracted to the familiar. Those become, you know, like barriers. Without a goal, it would be impossible to go in the same direction, right? So we have to be able to think and envision and do the work actively, proactively, to think about where do we want to end up because there's so many variances. There's so much actually happening and people feel strongly about each of those things. So we have to have that in place in order to position ourselves, you know, kind of like for success. So I find them to be like so in tune and so in sync what, what we're talking about in order to get to whatever the next phase is. So that's that's how it resonates with me. 
Brilliant. I love that. I love that. And yeah, the way I've heard you talk about kind of unconscious bias in those terms before never gets old. I love that kind of idea of, uh, you know, bias comes from instincts and all of that, all of that information that's poured into us all from, from year dot, let alone it's our birth or the historics of kind of, you know, Neanderthal humans back in the day getting attacked by saber toothed tigers and not knowing whether to run away or, or attack it with various flint based uh, weaponry. 100%. It's fascinating stuff. It's fascinating stuff. It's so exciting to see all this coming together in conversation. And I love that you talk about that, Jimmy, because especially as you expressed how it's not just technology, it's the nature of behavior, Mm. which is really, you know, as I think humans, as we interact with each other, it's less about technology per se. It's more about these connections that we make with each other and being able to help people make these connections better, having the ability to use these technologies, whether it's be the tool that we're using now to stream and talk to each other across Mm -hmm. different geographical locations or whether it's vehicles. As we start to engage with each other in ways that we may not have done, you know, generations before our parents, how are we setting ourselves up and, you know, the incoming generations for a world that looks like that it is really important to understand that if these are the shifts that are happening we want to be prepared for these shifts and these biological pools coming up against the reality of the climate that we live in volatility change all of these things we have to come to reconcile and i feel like this work that you're doing jimmy really paves a good way for that also failure i think there's a lot around when you're managing risk there is a layer of appetite for failure that you have to balance and i think there are a lot of expectations that need to be managed around where is your failure threshold where's your appetite for failure in order to ensure that there is you know an alignment on that when you're going to take a big swing, where will that position us if you miss? And what are the challenges around that? So I think that will take a lot of time and maybe speaking to the human nature side of things and around shame and how there is this connection between shame and failure and society. It's just like a bigger thing. And also money. It's, you know, these are our bills that are being paid for the good work that we are doing so it's also being mindful of the fact that this is important work but it's also work that challenges Mm -hmm. other opportunities and there is a cost to doing one thing versus another and if it does not go as you would wish the learning um, opportunity yes but also taking on the cost and the impact of Mm -hmm. that so yeah I think a lot around expectation management. Lastly, we had plenty of guests who showed us how they activate the community around us. Here, the training team's very own Kelly Finch talks about the opportunity seized to grow the community at Framestore using our new Confluence knowledge base. And Roxy Prophet discusses her exciting film challenges she runs across the world, and hopefully at Framestore in the future. So before I started working, for frame store, uh, I, I was working at a, at a bank and I had some experience with a, a knowledge base that had been newly acquired, hmm. but it was nothing like Confluence. So I honestly didn't know what I was in for hmm. when, when I started because this was just so much more of an advanced platform. And I had to very quickly learn everything that I could. Yeah. So it took a lot of going through just the confluence training that the vendor offers, reading up on different features, and then just playing around and working in it and seeing what was mm. possible. So in the beginning, it was a lot of focus on just wanting to migrate content over. 
And then we started slowly seeing what the possibilities could be in Confluence. Yeah. So we were like, this doesn't have to just be where people find information for their department. Yeah. It's like it could be a place that people communicate with each other, that you can ask questions, that you can, mm. you know, have some sort of community in there. Yeah, and I was about to throw the, the, the C word in there. You know, we talk a lot about community and drove the, the mentoring program, this podcast. And uh, it's a really great take on Confluence because I think a lot of potential kind of systems folk who, who could have come in and took on that project would have seen it very much as that, as a system. And it is, but seeing it through the lens of building community. And I think that's one of the things we need to kind of drive more with in Framestore is seeing it as a as a destination, because I think historically it was seen as a replacement for wikis, which was, hey, this is where I can go for pipeline information. Here's where I can go for what I need to know to do my job, which it still is. But one of the things that excites me as a kind of creative type is the art space that we put in last year. Yeah, the art space, the uh, the Q&A feature that's in there, you know, all of the really rich content as well. So it shouldn't just be limited to technical people or artists, right? And it's still very much all to play for, right, Kelly? There's still so much scope within that platform. So I am a perfectionist when it comes to making a movie. And if I don't give myself a deadline, it doesn't get made. Hence, trying to make a Guinness World Record in eight years and still nothing. But <laughs> I like to... Um, I started making films with 48-hour and 24-hour film challenges, and that's kind oh, of wow. how I've made a complete product and loved them. So now I run my own challenges. Um, so I've got a, a website called filmchampionships.com, no and anyone can go on and do an anytime challenge. So you sign up for the weekend whenever. It's all automated for you. I do personally check it because I get the little notification saying, oh, someone signed on. Um, and you can say, turn a nursery rhyme into a two minute video and you need to submit it to me within 48 hours. So you're practicing your skills, you're doing what you need to do. And I give you inspirational little emails along the way and some resources. So that's an anytime film challenge. And then in my spare time, I, at Animal Logic, for instance, I ran a couple of film challenges as a creative release um, where people could win a, cu a couple of awards and things for a short challenge to get out there and have a bit of fun. Um, and then this weekend, I was teaching a smartphone Fickerfest workshop and I was pushing the guys to make a film by the 25th of June for their art center. Wow. <laughs> Um, that's amazing yeah I just I'm passionate about it that's and I, I kind of live and breathe film so the workshop I did on Saturday I almost didn't have to prepare for it because it was you know teaching kids and I love yeah. that and I I did that back with rural media that was my first job as an in, a trainee mm -hmm. and we went to so many different schools teaching them the core fundamentals of filmmaking and now you have this amazing thing in your pocket which I didn't have when I was 16 you were running around with big Sonys and things yeah, true. and you know you got no excuses yeah, so I teach people how to do it all for free yeah do all the editing on your phone or your iPad or yeah exactly That's so yeah. cool um yeah, so I'm hoping to try and branch out a bit and do a few more workshops in rural areas. Uh, I've always had the dream of moving my family into a van, doing the Loop of Australia, and teaching people along the way. So I'll keep you posted. Great. Yeah, please do. And the, the, all, have, do you publish the films that are made as part of the challenge on the website? I haven't published them on the website. They're on the Facebook page, the people that accepted. Okay. Um, it has been a little slow because, I, like I said, for the last year I've had my, my little boy. Yeah. But um, a few people are submitting it. More than anything, the exercise is if they need feedback. So mm. a lot of people will make the movie and then come back to me for feedback. Or um, if it's a great movie, I've got a lot of festival connections now. Um, so I put them in touch with a festival cool. like Short and Sweet or Smartphone Flicker Fest and, and try and get them to submit to one of those because it's all about showcasing what you can do on a, on a festival stage and getting to know people. It's one of the best ways to network in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And have you uh, introduced the challenges to the Framestore Melbourne community yet? 
no, not yet. <laughs> I think they'd have a great time. I haven't quite unleashed the giant blanket of Roxy brain. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I imagine a film challenge would be a bit of a busman's hol- holiday for uh, a VFX artist. <laughs> It'd be super cool. Yeah, they do. Whenever I ran them at Animal, it was a really beautiful experience. So, right. Yeah, I think at one point we were running around with bins and putting googly eyes on them. And then Amazing. This is right my street, yes. Some of the guys in the layout re-edited them to sort of be a little horror bin that goes up the That's corridor. awesome. All right, okay. So, Frankstall yeah. Melbourne, if you're listening, I'm sure you've already kind of <laughs> pitched it, but yeah. We need to bring the full the full Roxy profit to uh, to Framestore Melbourne, maybe even yeah. Framestore Global. This is a great sounds like a great challenge. I'd love to have a crack at that. I can um, everything that I've done is written into sort of workshops, so you pass them along. Yeah. So I can anywhere go. We did it in Vancouver as well. Oh. So the same weekend we did Sydney and Vancouver. Before we sign off for the holidays and close out 2023, we thought it was only fair to take a culinary journey through some of the delicious desert island dishes our guests served up this year. Bon appetit. There's a Spanish lentil stew. Marks and Spencer's raspberry royale trifle. It's just McDonald's and I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> the best vegan burger place called Burger. It's B-V-R-G-E-R. Tacos. A potato. Honey sandwiches. A rice chicken dinner. Spaghetti carbonara. Ooh. Rice and fish. That's especially if that's made from... My mom's prepared it. And of course, the spaghetti my wife makes. I think I can survive maybe on sandwiches. I see what you've done there. Yeah, yeah, you can mix it up. Nusa soup. Carrot cake. It's actually a meal from Ivory Coast. It's called Achiki Poisson. Pad Thai. And mango sticky rice. Lasagna. Fried chicken. Uh, a homemade lambuna. Oh. Bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with sushi all day, every day. Ah veg sandwiches and wow yeah i've never been more disappointed in an answer than right now <laughs> green curry I, I kind of class coffee as a meal so it would be coffee <laughs> <laughs> oh god i love food quite the menu i'm sure you'll agree there's some inspiration for you if you're listening right before your lunch hour you're welcome Other than our personal favourite foodie question, we can't forget about our fabulously eclectic Framestore Podcast Dailies playlist on Spotify. Make sure you catch up on all the music recommendations from guests throughout the year. You'll find the link in this episode's show notes. So that closes out our journey through the best of the Framestore Podcast this year. Before we go, we want to hear from you. What question do you wish was part of the Framestore podcast dailies? Details on sharing your ideas and suggestions will go out on this week's launch email. So look out for that. A huge thank you to our guests that featured on this week's highlight special, as well as on their own episodes, namely Sabrina Gagnon, Marco Garcia, Shaylin C, Nicholas Limtuck Lee, Tim Weber, Patty Laguno, Suzanne Jandu, Prashant Nair, Shuji Singal, Martin McRae, Debbie Coleman, Matt Hughes, Raphael Weiss, Pia Sofredini, Roxy Prophet, Johnny Dixon, Chris Blasco, Kelly Finch, Lorna Dunbar, and Jimmy Vaughan. And quite frankly, everyone who gave up their time to join us on the pod this year. A massive, massive thank you. As always, a big shout out to Sam Sosnowski from the Global Training Team for her hard work in compiling this week's bumper retrospective. The Framestore podcast will take a break for the holidays, but we'll be back in 2024 with more inspiring conversations with our global Framestore community. Until then, thanks for listening. And from all of us at the Framestore podcast and the training team, have a wonderful holiday season and a very happy new year. (laughs) 